The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. two-man power trip of wrestling i am your host jp john pause with me today is a former ecw original he was a member of the baldies of course a member of the carnage crew as well and a former ring of honor world tag team champion he is of course tony devito tony welcome to the two-man power trip how you doing what's going on man been uh you've been trying to get me for a while here and uh I'm really yeah excited. finally <laughs> finally yeah you won't remember this but like 20 years ago i used to drive pj around just incredible buddy of mine forever literally he lived the town over so sometimes i drive to the shows with him you were training massive and cheech oh, at, wow. at, at this point so i yes. used to see you all the time you probably wouldn't remember that but i used to see you guys all the time obviously the heyday of the carnage crew yeah no doubt no uh i'm sorry man i don't remember that but like you said cte could be playing a big part in today <laughs> it might be kicking in you never know yeah so what have you been up to what's been going on in your world uh my world is uh pretty much i work for the post office now man i'm a mailman i freaking sit in a truck all day i deliver mail it's pretty freaking cool so different That's than uh wrestling career different than pro wrestling a little bit different man but uh it's a pretty cool gig and uh it's got a retirement at the end which is pretty cool nice nice pension yeah my uncle or great uncle was a mailman he got a nice pension and everything yeah, yeah nice. yeah it's nice <laughs> anybody recognize you like hey is guy's a wrestler he's my postman like anybody get that you know word gets around a little bit and um you know, a couple people know, but not many, you know, once they get to know me a little bit better, it kind of comes out, but it, not really, man. Down here in Florida, because I'm in Florida now, I'm not, in, I'm not in New York. If I was in New York, it'd probably be a lot different, but in Florida, they don't know nothing. <laughs> they don't know nothing down here. <laughs> How'd you end up, like, at the post office? How'd you end up working there? Man, I moved to Florida five years ago, and <clears throat> I was, uh, I was out hurt from the job I was at, and, um, you know, I said, you know, my wife hated her job and we both said, man, let's, let's get the hell out of New York. Let's move to Florida. It's nice out. I hate the cold. And we came down here with nothing. She quit her job. And, you know, like I said, I was on comp and, you know, I, I got fixed. I got better. And uh, I just searched for jobs down here, man. And I, I came across the post office applied and I got it. Not easy to get into, right? I mean, you got to pass all these tests and know this and know that. Yeah, you got to, you got to pass a test, but it's like a memory test, which is crazy that I did pretty good on the memory test because, uh, I couldn't remember we were doing this interview, but yeah. I think it a memory <laughs> test. <laughs> hey, it happens. It happens to everybody. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I used to think like, oh, man, like the post office, that's pretty cool. Like I used to think pretty highly of it. And then once I got in and I realized they'll fucking hire anybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, Newman from Seinfeld. The male yeah, never like stops. Yeah. yeah, dude. And we have a few of those guys. It's crazy. True life. Yeah, hopefully not like Son of Sam or anything like that. No, none of Son. Well, I don't know, man. You never know. You do never know. You never know hopefully who's not. <laughs> so, any specific reason, like, like you want to stick with it, or you're just like, ah, this pays the bills. Uh, I'm just gonna run it. Yeah, through. I mean, to me, it was just you know, I was just got. I had to get something down here in Florida, and I figured I'd take whatever I could get. And then uh, once I started looking to the post office you know i've always done kind of delivery type jobs in the past anyway even when i was wrestling i worked i i, I delivered pepsi i delivered beer 
I've had a, a snack route. I've had a bread route. I've had, uh, I used to deliver from Nabisco. So I've had a lot of jobs where I did deliveries. So the post office, I, I never thought of it before. And then uh, I just applied. I saw it, you know, they were hiring. I applied and that was it, man. So now that I know what kind of job it is and they pay pretty well and, and the retirement and all that, I really wish I found it when ECW went out of business. That's what I really wish I did. Because right. I'd have, you know, I'd have 20, 20 years in by now, you know? Yeah, for sure. And you will retire sooner. And yeah, a lot extra. sooner. Yeah. So as far as wrestling, are you still wrestling down there at all? Or are you, you completely done? Are you retired? Yeah, I mean, I'll do a little bit here and there. You know, like me and Loke did a, a show for uh, ICW No Holds Barred back in uh, WrestleMania weekend for Danny DeManto. Um, different kind of show for us, you know, it's like a death match show and we're not really into the death match part of it, but we'll, you know, we'll go out there and brawl and, and fight and, and, you know, do that type of stuff. But I'm not into the glass and things like that. I mean, I don't know if, I don't think Loke's going to do it either. I mean, cause I'd shit all over him if he did it, but, uh, but you know what, to each his own, you know, but it was a cool, um, it was really cool to get in there and do that. And that was like new Jack's last match before he passed away too. He teamed with us that night, which was pretty cool. But um, I do a little bit down here. There's a, there's a guy that runs down here. Uh, he's taking a little hiatus right now, but he's looking to get back going. Uh, that's called Go Wrestle. And uh, I do a little bit of that down here. Frank Goodman runs a couple shows, USA Pro. I'm, I'm, you know, he hasn't ran since the pandemic. But if he does come back, I'm going to get on that show, too. <laughs> nice. I kind of pick. I, yeah, I just pick and choose, you know. I, I don't do much. It's hard, it's hard to travel and work the post office gig at the same time. I work Saturdays most, most weeks. So my Fridays and Saturdays are pretty much taken up. So, you know, I'm not in my 20s anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, not inducive to the full-time wrestling life anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah. Plus my body couldn't take the full-time anymore. And I need a knee replacement. You know, the, the, the neck is pretty jacked up. And, you know, I got, I got issues. But I could still go out and do it if I wanted to. Now, I just came across, it was great, um, an old picture of you and PJ. I guess he was PJ Walker. You're, you know, you're just Tony DeVito. Yeah. WWF and Hanson match behind you guys, though, your opponents, the Steiner brothers. I know uh, PJ yeah. always says that, oh, they're light as a feather. But then I'm like, come on. He goes, no, they kill you. <laughs> so <laughs> were, were they stiff, the, the Steiners? Because I saw that pop up on my Twitter. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean. Like, they were there, you know what I'm saying? But they weren't, like, stiff where they were going to hurt you, but they were definitely snug, which I'm okay with. Snug, I'm fine. PJ, he liked to uh, – he likes guys that are like feathers, you know. I like the snugness, you know. And he ended up liking it later on. Like, in his ECW days, he was definitely more of a – a little more of a snug type guy, you know. But back in those days, you know, oh, I thought this was supposed to be fake. <laughs> you know, that right. type of stuff. But uh, I like it snug, so, you know, I'm a fan of that. Did you take this diner screwdriver? I'm trying to remember. Or did no, you he did. PJ did. Okay. Yeah, PJ took the screwdriver. Yeah. Nobody really. A lot of guys didn't take that move because nobody could take it. You know, but PJ could take it. His he was nice, straight up and down. And yep. PJ was a PJ is a hell of a worker, man. He doesn't get any credit for the work he does. Yeah, he was awesome. I remember awesome. when he was ECW champion. They were saying one of the best in the business. It's like finally this guy gets some credit. He's been good for years. Yeah, he he got credit then too, but I don't think he still got what he deserved. You know, like he went yeah. out there and you know he uh, he put on great matches every night. Man. I agree. Underrated for sure. Yeah. Underappreciated. Yeah. 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 So how did you get into the business overall? Like who trained you? Is it really Doctor D. David Schultz? Can that actually be true? <laughs> yeah, it's one hundred percent true, man. David Schultz trained me. I went to. Orange, Connecticut to uh, Passarella's Quest Gym, and uh, Dr. D was the trainer, man. And, you know, I went in for a, uh, a session, and that's it, man. I signed right up. I mean, I knew I was going to sign up anyway, So, but that was it. He gave you I, one free class. I talked to him once in a while. Seems like a, he's a nice guy, but, you know, he's definitely out there a little bit as far <laughs> as just, just his personality. Like, he could be a little ornery, but, you know, maybe he just doesn't seem like the trainer type, like uh, – He's not like Dominic DiNucci, who seems like, you know, that, that grandfather role. Like, I'll train you. I'm right. going to teach you. He doesn't right. give me that kind of vibe that he's like, you're going to be a trainer. So how, how was like, how was it training under him? I mean, I thought it was pretty cool. I didn't know anything else at the time. So, I mean, you know, we loved it, you know. Plus, he was David Schultz. He slapped the shit out of John Stossel. You know, I mean, it, it was pretty cool. He had a lot of, uh, you know, he had a lot behind him, a lot of hype. And uh, he was cool as hell to us, though. You know, he was a really cool dude. And. Uh, we got along with him real well, and um, 
you know, we'd hear his stories, his bounty hunting stories he'd tell us about. There'd be weeks where he wasn't there because he was bounty hunting. But, uh, you know, he'd come back, tell us the stories. It was pretty cool having him. Um, old school psychology, we were taught, you know, taught how to, how to work the old school way, which was pretty cool because that's, that's a lost art. Yeah, big time. Yeah. <laughs> you follow current wrestling at all? Just uh, curious? Cause yeah, I do. It's definitely I mean, a lost art. Yeah, I watch. I like AEW better than I like WWE at this point. So I do follow that. Plus, I got friends there still that uh, I'm pretty proud of. Bobby Fish just got hired there. Uh, it's one yeah. of my guys, you know. And, you know, there's, there's a few dudes there I know from Ring of Honor. So it's pretty cool to see these guys actually in the top spotlight again. You know, even though they did well in, in WWE for themselves, uh, Punk especially, but um, just to see the guys that I've helped out, you know, throughout those years, kind of try to, you know, finally make it or guys that I've had, you know, a, a lot of friendships with, you know, it's pretty cool. I forgot for a second that I was talking about Massive and Cheech and those guys. Yeah. Oh my God, you're, you're maybe your most uh, prized student, Bobby Fish, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Jerk That's, Jackson, of course. Yeah. Jerk Jackson. Yeah. Cause he was around during that time too, I would assume. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we tried to, you know, it was funny because if you could remember, too, I was doing Ring Honor, like you said, and I'd bring all these guys to those shows. And I'd always be like, Gabe, you got to book these guys, you got to book these guys. And he always found an excuse not to book these guys. But now, you know, then Bobby Fish come, becomes what he is at this point. You know, he didn't want to book him back in the day. He did eventually. You know, I think it was after I was gone, though, uh, Fish got it shot in Ring Honor. So same with Cheech and Cloudy and, yep. you know, a bunch of guys, massive. <laughs> It's funny. It's funny. Like massive, probably the biggest one of the bunch. But uh, Cheech gets a shot, but it's like with Cloudy, and it's with uh, Special K. Like yeah. he, he wasn't like I don't know. Sometimes Gabe, come on, you got to give these guys a shot. I know with Loke, he gave you and Loke a big shot. But it's funny. It's like, come on, I'm bringing you these students. Use them, Gabe. Yeah, you know, Dun and Marcus were Loke's guys too. Like those yeah. guys got a shot through Dun and Mar through Loke. You know, I mean, it's not that you know Gabe did try guys. It's just that there was such a full roster back in those days too. It was kind of hard to work people in on these shows you know but I, I think they each got a little bit of work here and there you know um uh turtle and uh diablo santiago uh, outcast killers they got a shot there they went to the embassy for a little bit they're my guys too so um you know he did put our guys on these shows so i can't i can't fault them for all that you know but uh who, who would have thought back then i'm pushing fish and you know now he is what he is but he wouldn't get a shot back then really you know yeah, it's funny. And you think like he might be the best of the bunch just because the way it turned out, he just became great. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Well, don't forget forget Xavier too. He was probably well, he might have been around back in that day, I guess. He kinda went AWOL for a while, did his own stuff down with the New York crew, and then uh then we hooked back up years later again, you know? Yeah. So with Bobby Fish, are you just surprised at all? Like to see that like, okay, he's an NXT, he's a star, he's an AEW's a star, or you're not surprised you saw that written on him? No, I'm not. Oh, you mean that he made it finally? Yeah, or, yeah, um, like he really made it. You know, I, I don't know if you ever look at a guy like we're all pretty average size. You know, we're all five foot eight guys. None of us are giants. None of us are these big muscular dudes. You know, he's in great shape, but he's not this big muscular guy. So I don't, I don't even know to to tab anybody as oh, this guy's going to make it. It's so hard because of our our physical stature at that point. You know, you you don't know what WWE is going to think of you and. Things like that. I mean, uh, the guy worked hard. He went to Japan, made a hell of a career in Japan. So I'm not surprised that he did make it because of the reason, you know, he did all that on his own. He went to Japan on his own. I, I didn't get a shot to go to Japan, you know, and, and he went and he made it happen for himself. Um, so that's not surprising. But, you know, yeah, being in class, I guess, at first, it'd be, it's, it's surprising if any of us make it at that point, you know. Right. With... Dr. D. David Schultz, him training. What do you take with you when you were training? Because you I mean you trained all these guys that made it to different levels. Obviously, yeah. you know Bobby Fish maybe made it further than anybody, but all these guys are making it to a certain extent to somewhere. So, do you take what Dr. D. trained you, and do you kind of bring it forward? And like, what do you bring forward? Yeah, the old school aspect of um, you know shooting and, and knowing how to protect yourself in the ring. That that's the part that that dr d instilled in me anyway but i think i would have had that because i was an amateur wrestler which so so when i discovered pro wrestling you know i was around 10 to 12 years old somewhere in that range i think i was in sixth grade um 
you know, I said to myself, well, I'm going to be in junior high next year. And they had a wrestling team. I said, well, shit, I might as well go out for the wrestling team because I'm going to be a pro wrestler. So I said, I might as well join the wrestling team and learn how to wrestle because I, I figured it would help out at some point. So um, and, and it really did. You know, that that's the part about like Doc showing us how to protect herself professional wrestling wise. And I knew how to shoot because of amateur style wrestling. So it was a combination of both that I instilled in all my guys. Nice. Yeah. So Dr. D, though, is he one of those guys that he wants to exhaust you? Because you always hear there's two different kind of trainers, the ones that kind of nurture you, but they're, they can be tough, but then the other ones that literally just don't don't want you to make it to a certain point, and they're going to exhaust you before you even step foot in the ring. Was Dr. D like that at all? He was neither one of those guys, to be honest oh, okay. with you. Yeah, he was neither one of those guys. Doc was... I'm not going to say he was there to get a paycheck. I think he cared about us guys, but... I also think that he just kind of was there to collect the money also. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it, I don't know how much, I don't know how long he trained guys. You know, I know he trained like the power twins. They were a couple big twins back in the day. Um, yeah. He really, not a lot of guys came through his school that really uh, amounted to anything, which is not saying anything about his training. I mean, I, I thought he did a, a great job doing the training still. Um, but just not that many guys coming out of that school that really did anything in this business. Um, yeah, it's weird. He just wasn't, he wasn't on top. You know, he knew if we were fucking around, he knew like he didn't have to look at the ring. He knew if we weren't doing things correctly, just by the sound of that ring. And that's something that holds true to me to this day right now. I can hear in the ring. If you took a good bump or if you did something right, you can hear it. And he, that part he knew. And he'd tell us, God damn it, do it again. And be like, Doc, you weren't even watching. He does, I don't give a fuck, do it again. <laughs> so I guess in that aspect, he would. He would just keep us going and going and going until we got it right. And that is something that I installed in guys, too. I would just, I have them keep doing things until I get it right. I'm one of them guys, I want those basics down. Because if you don't have those basics down, how can you move on to be a pro wrestler? I don't care if you can do a, 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 a moonsault and, uh, you know, a flip and land on your feet. I don't, that's not, that's cool. But can you take a bump? Can you hit the ropes? Can you, you know, you know, can you do all the basics that you're supposed to do? Because the basics are the are the number one factor in in the whole business itself. That's that's number one thing. It's funny. A lot of the good trainers always say that basics yeah. and fundamentals. Basic, yeah. you know, that's what they kind of preach. And, and that's what we. That's what trainers should be installing in their guys. You know, anything else is is on the guy itself. I, I don't. I'm not going to go in there and show you how to do. A moonsault, like I said before, but I'll show you how to throw a punch. I'll show you how to take a bump properly. I'll show you how to feed. I'll show you how to hit the ropes. <laughs> you know, I'm going to show you all the basic moves and fundamentals you need, and you're going to keep doing them and doing them and doing them until you get it right. And certain people quit because of that. Yes. So I guess going back to David Schultz, he that he did do to us. Got to know the basics and the yeah. fundamentals. Got it. Yeah, you got to. So how do you go from training with him to doing indies to end up on WWE TV or WWF TV really and doing like enhanced matches and stuff? How does that happen? So, uh, you know, Doc had been training us for six months, whatever, whatever it had been by the time I was in his class, eight months. And he finally kind of said to us, listen, guys, you know, I'm pretty much blackballed in this business. I'm having a real hard time uh, getting you guys any kind of work because I guess he, he was trying, but he didn't have connections anymore. You know, he was bounty hunting. He was doing his own stuff. Wrestling was in the past for him, except for the training. But um, during that time, the gym was being sold to this, this woman. So she bought, she bought the gym and Paul Roma, who lived in that area also had just started getting into boxing at that point. And somehow he, he trained at that gym also, but he trained with Tony Altamore long, long time before that, probably back in the early eighties, I'm assuming he trained uh, Tony Altabor had a, had a school in that same building. And, um, so she bought the gym and she moved it to a bigger building. She kind of made like a little boxing area and she set up Paul in there with the boxing area. And somehow Schultz met up with Roma and he talked him into coming in and helping us out. And Paul came in and he started training us. So doc kind of slid out of the picture and Roma came in the picture and, that really was it. Paul hooked us up, man. He still had connections with WWF at the time, and he hooked us up. He called. I don't know who he called. I don't know if he called uh, Tony Gria, Chief J. Strongbow. Not really sure of the details of it. All I knew is he said, okay, you guys are going to TV, and boom, we just, that was it. We, we went. So Paul Roma hooked us up with that. 
what's the experience like are you tr- like getting dressed in the locker room like how are you treated backstage by some of the guys um everybody was pretty cool you know you know you kind of you know you're you're brand new you're green you keep your mouth shut you listen you pay attention and uh you, you talk when when people speak to you and uh but overall the vibe was it was weird because now you are in the land of the giants you know i had i've been in one locker room at that point you know i, I wrestled one match and uh roma gave us got us on tv uh not too long after that so wow. we wow we were so green going in. it was you know me mike bell uh, pj walker uh nick barbary which was a friend of pj's um yeah we just we just started going to tvs <laughs> pretty cool though because you're in there with like bam bam with the steiners and mr yeah. perfect you know what i mean it's awesome to have that experience and wrestle those guys and hey you're on tv too yeah we're on tv and like i said we were green we're learning so that's where we learn that's where we cut our teeth you know and and certain guys uh you know helped you out you know took you under the wing helped you out taught you stuff um so that was pretty cool i was i guess i was at the tail end of of that part of it you know because not a lot of guys are doing that anymore these days so no, not at all. Yeah. Were you getting paid well to do those? Or yeah, they were 150 bucks a night back in that day. And they paid you trans and uh, for your car, mileage, hotels. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a nice little setup you got going. Yeah, you went on the road for like three days with them. It was usually Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday tapings or Monday, Tuesday tapings, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, you were on the road for a few days with the WWF. So it was pretty cool. How do you then get noticed by Paul Heyman and ECW? I mean, we're going forward a little bit, but how do you kind of get noticed? You're just working indies and doing your, your thing? Yeah, I had never met Paul before. Um, Tommy Dreamer had gotten a um, a tryout match in Westchester at the at the county center, at the White Plains County Center. So I met Tommy Dreamer that night. We talked quite a bit that night. I don't think he worked that night. I can't remember. But uh, that's the first time I met Dreamer. From there, I did my, I did, well, Earl, I'm sorry, I'm, my first ever show, I met a bunch of guys. I met Taz, I met Joey Styles, I met, uh, I worked for Tony Capone, NAWA, and he had a bunch of dudes on that show, a bunch of ECW guys. But, um, but anyway, I met Dreamer at that show. So ECW started coming around, I got the TV, I said, oh, this is a pretty cool place, I want to, I want to try this out. They came to Middletown Fairgrounds uh, in New York one night. And I just went, you know, I just went, I showed up, I saw Dreamer, we started talking, you know, I asked him, hey, could you introduce me to Paul? Uh, He introduced me to Paul and uh, we talked for a brief minute and that was really it. (laughs) So that was, that was probably 90, I don't know, 97. So I really didn't get into ECW two years later. So uh, PJ, just incredible, you know, he went from, doing jobs and he went to, you know, he got hired and he was Aldo Montoya and he went to Memphis, did some USWA stuff. And then he kind of came into ECW. And once he got to ECW and he started getting over Paul gave him a push, he liked him. I was friends with PJ. I started going back to the shows again, started working out in the ring. Um, I was pretty fat at the time. I was probably 280, 285. And I decided, well, I got to change things up. And I, I started dieting and I started getting into shape. And I dropped uh, 80 pounds in like three months and the whole company noticed. And I think that's really, uh, you know, being friends with PJ and working my ass off there, they finally took notice. And, and that's when uh, I got hired by ECW. What did you think when you first got in? You were like, man, this is crazy. Because, you know, you, you always hear all the stories. Oh, they're, they're partying. I mean, it's family atmosphere for the most part, but if they're crazy. Their drugs uh, are, are a plenty. The crazy atmosphere. All the guys are nuts. What did you think when you first got in? I mean, I didn't care about any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> None of that bothers me, man. That's why that's the, uh, that's why I can't get into what wrestling is and, and, and society these days because nothing bothered us back then. That didn't matter. Nothing offended right. me. Nothing yeah. So anyway, uh, it, I thought it was awesome. You know, like just being able to do the, the WWE things back in that time, you know, of course, my goal was always to get hired by a company. So when I finally got to ECW and, and you know, I clicked with a lot of those guys because I was I'm probably a misfit with them also, you know, and that's how come I fit into ECW. Um, but you know, it was like family getting in there, you know, everybody was, was awesome. Everybody wanted everyone to succeed and do well. And we tried looking out for each other and it was, it, 
it was a family atmosphere, but uh, it was awesome. When I finally knew I had a spot there and I belonged, it, it was awesome. When you first get there, they always say, ECW, you're doing other jobs besides just being a wrestler. What, did you have other jobs and what were your other jobs that you yeah. kind of were assigned? Yeah, so uh, I ended up helping out in ring crew for a few months. You know, I did it for a while. Me, Angel, uh, HC Lope did ring crew for a while. You know, we, it was just what Tommy was able to do to get us into that company. And he got us guaranteed paydays and, you know, used to get paid to set up the ring. And he also got paid to wrestle. So you could make double the money that night, which was pretty cool. Did Tommy do a lot of the... Not office work, but a lot of the in charge stuff rather than Paul or was Paul more front and center? Uh, I mean, I think overall Paul is, was the boss, you know, but Tommy had a lot of input. Tommy had a lot of pull. Um, if there was a spot and he liked you and he wanted to get you in somewhere, he could get you in somewhere. And, you know, that's pretty much how it worked. I mean, Paul was definitely the boss, you know, but Tommy had a lot to do with it. Who did you deal with a lot more, Tommy or Paul? Uh, well, I dealt with both pretty evenly i think you know with ecw kind of the way it was what did you think at this point like they're doing great or are you starting to see some chinks in the armor because at this point we still think that they're highly successful in 99 of course yeah think about it. i mean we started doing way bigger crowds than we were doing like even in the heyday of ecw we, they weren't doing the crowds that we were doing at that point and then until the end of ecw you know we were we were drawing 5,000 people to some shows, depending where we we're going. But we, we had great crowds, you know, like we were building our business. Um, you know, the downfall was that Paul had to sign these guys to contracts, you know, and guys that had contracts and guaranteed money. That was the tough part because now you're, you're guaranteeing these guys and there's money coming in, but there's also money being paid out to the, to the guy that, you know, financially supported our pay-per-views. And trust me, he came to collect his money on those days and he got his fucking money. And, uh, you know, but there was a lot of other things, you know, uh, we were doing record business for ECW though at that point. So it was surprising that, you know, the end came as it did for us too. Who was the money man? Who was the guy? Uh, I don't want to give names. <laughs> Is it known though? I feel like I think it's known. I okay. mean, I, I, you know, I, it's not like it's a, you know, it's not like it's a, you know, a, a mob related thing or anything. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's known his name. I just, you know, I'd rather not say it. So with like pay per views and stuff, plus you don't get the money right away for the pay per views when you sell them. So if ECW has a successful pay per view, right. Paul might not see the money for six months, right? Isn't right. that how it works usually? He might not see that money, and the money at the gate got taken by this guy. So at least that's how I understood it. Like I said, I never saw it. I never saw money being taken from anywhere. You know what I'm saying? But that's what it was well understood when he came to those pay per views. He was taking the money from the gate. And that, that's that's what was pretty much uh, known throughout the locker room. You know, that's what I was told. That's how I reacted to it. So, Plus, like the video game stuff and, and like all that other stuff that in toys, you don't see that money right away. Maybe WB does with their licensing and all the other stuff. But right. ECW, it's probably you have to like wait, see if it sells. You yeah. know, it, it, it's one of those things where it's sometimes good to get in that business, but it's not always financially lucrative and profitable right away. It, right. And, and then, you know, even for us with the video games, we never saw money for those video games, but we're in them, <laughs> which is pretty cool. <laughs> so you either got no pay or you didn't have to be in it. So that was really what it was. It's funny, like WB, if you're in that game, I'm sure you get some sort of like yeah. license check or whatever the heck they call it. Yeah. Well, a totally different company, too, though. You know, I yep. mean, ECW was a was a renegade company and run by a renegade boss, you know, and uh things were different you know and times were different back then too i mean man you know 20 some years ago doesn't seem that far away but you know it, it was it was different and uh not everyone was contracted you know every a lot of guys were on handshake agreements still you know and uh it, it was tough at some points you know what did you think of Paul? I would love to ask the ex ECW guys that, like, what they think of him. Was he a genius? Like, what do you think about Paul? Yeah, I think Paul was a genius, but I think he was a genius in the fact that a lot of guys fed him ideas also. And and not that, you know, he would come up with something. I think Raven says it the best, too. You know, like Raven would say how, you know, Paul would come up with something and maybe like him and Tommy would be 
you know, doing the match and they'd say, well, Paul, what if we did this, you know, and if Paul liked it, Paul went with it, you know, that's, that's where Paul's genius was too, is that he didn't fight guys on what they, you know, if it sounded good, well, shit, let's do it and see if it works out the way that you're actually thinking it's going to work out, you know, and, and maybe there's times where it was Paul's way that it worked out that way, you know, so he was definitely a genius, but you know, you also, I think it also comes off of feeding off other people too. It's, it wasn't only his brain, it was multiple brains. And I think that's what actually takes somebody to do that. So like a collaboration with some guys and he's an open, yeah. open-minded type of guy. Oh, open-minded genius. <laughs> Without yes. a doubt. Yeah. But Paul to me, I love Paul. I mean, Paul, uh, you know, Paul's the guy that gave me my first shot. He gave me my first real break in this business. And I don't ever forget that, you know, did I, was I owed money at the end? Sure. (laughs) Was I lied to? Sure. But I still respect the fact that that's the guy that gave me my shot. So that's how I always feel about it. It's almost like he gave you the opportunity he did kind of screw you a little bit, but you wouldn't have had the opportunity had he not given it to you. So right. one of those things, almost it's like one day and watch the other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so some people though will argue and say, Oh, he's not a genius. He's a terrible businessman. This and that. What do you he think is, about like, he is a terrible businessman. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean you're not a genius though. Right. You, you can, well, you could be good creatively or like with people, so, but on the, on the other hand, maybe not so much. Like right. Vince may be the opposite. Vince is great with business, music, man. And he may be the creative uh, right. stuff maybe is a little iffy. Right. Well, I think the, that's the thing with Vince. Like not only is he a genius also, I think he is. You know, the guy's very brilliant, very smart. But I also think he doesn't like to listen to people. So it's his way or no way. <laughs> so where I think Paul said, well, fuck, maybe that will work. Let's try it. You know? I think there's times where that happened with Vince without a doubt, but uh, that was, that were the good years. That was the attitude years. Yeah. He had to almost, it's like, yeah. all right, my ideas aren't working. I yeah. have to listen to somebody else or I'm going to lose my business here. Well, think, you know, I was around in WWF at that point, you know, I was around Scott Hall. I was around Shawn Michaels. Those guys would tell us stories all the time of how, yeah, we're getting Vince's ear and we're, we're talking to Vince. And, and that was, and I mean, we all know how it all played out. We know what the click was, you know, I was right there in the middle of that stuff here in the stories, you know, living that actually as it happened, you know, what I was not part of the click, but I hung out with those dudes. <laughs> it's just pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What's that like backstage with those guys? Uh, like I said, you know, there's guys to take you under the wing. Scott Hall was one of those guys, man. Scott would give me and Mike Bell advice all the time. And PJ, you know, PJ, same things. Uh, Shawn Michaels, same way. But Scott really did, man. Scott was like, he was like the big brother to us, which is really cool. And <clears throat> I don't know why. He didn't have to do it, but he 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 liked us. And he helped us out. He'd tell us things. And, you know, same with Shawn. And it was really, really cool to learn from those guys. You know, even though I guess the rest of the locker room hated them, we didn't. <laughs> What's it like to party with those guys? I wasn't much of a drinker, but uh, back then I drank a little bit with them. I go to the bar, we'd hang out, we'd drink. It was it was always pretty pretty um, just social back then. You know, it'd be after after the show at the bar at the at the, at the hotel. You know, so it never really got too crazy um, during those TV times. I'm sure, you know, all those other stories are you know when those guys are on the road doing house shows and Vince is not around, and that's when they really let loose. So. That's pretty cool, though, hanging out with them. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, shit. When, you know, they were talking over their WrestleMania 10 ladder match, and, and we we're in, you know, New York City, and uh, me and Mike Bell are hanging out in their hotel room, and they're talking this match over. And we were giggling like little schoolgirls. And I remember, I don't remember if it was Sean or Scott, like, what are you guys laughing about? We're like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> and, and that's before anybody knew how great that match was going to be. You know, we were just there the night before listening to it. So it was pretty fucking cool, man. Yeah, that's awesome. I was in the building that night as a fan. Oh, nice. Many a 10 was awesome. Yeah, MSG. Yeah. Eight, 18 rows back. Not yeah. bad. I was doing the, the dunk booth that whole that whole weekend. Oh, with the, was, uh, one the of first the real WrestleMania convention, really. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was me, Mike Bell, and Phil Apollo. We all three of us played doing it. Whoa, nice. Paydays. We did that for 10 WrestleMania 10 and 11. Damn, look at that. 
Yeah. Who so knew? I booked for two WrestleManias, never appeared on either one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Like, that's interesting. Be like, yeah, I was at WrestleMania 10 11. What? Yep. Yeah. Work backstage. Yeah. Work or, backstage. you know, work the conventions. The and, yeah. Yeah. We was a clown. Yeah. Yeah. We were doing the clown. <laughs> cool gimmick. There's been so many doings. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Especially in New Jersey, New York. Oh, yeah. About and it. I still got the whole the whole costume, too. I still have a clown. Really? Oh, yeah. Damn. I've, I've done it for Halloween a couple times. <laughs> That's awesome. It's yeah. like the official True Blue Ray Apollo uh, uh, Matt Yeah, Bourne the only outfit? thing they didn't have, if you go back and look at it, like they didn't put the sleeves on them, and they weren't. They were like uh, shorts instead of actual pants. So that's the only. The, the whole costume is exactly the same, you know, because the girls made it. Every you know the, the the girls that were making the the costumes back then that that's that's who was making it. So they made all that stuff. That's pretty damn cool. Didn't yeah. even realize that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I know maybe Doink wasn't a big break, but the Baldies was a big break. How did that like all come to fruition? It's like, okay, we like this guy, but now we're going to give him something. We're going to actually use yeah. him and we're going to put him on TV and pay-per-views and everything else. Yeah. Well, I was, I was talking to another, po- I forget what I was in the podcast I was on, but so um similar question came up and I really believe it was like, you know, for all the guys that were in it. So it was, it was myself, it was Angel, you know, uh, Big Vito and uh, a couple of the other guys, which PN News, everybody once was in and out. Yeah. Rod Price was in it, you know, but Rod, you know, PN News. But these guys were kind of in and out kind of quick. Rod was only in it for, I don't even remember, <laughs> maybe a couple shows we did with Rod Price. And then he was, I think he was done with the company after that. But, uh, you know, Rod's original Baldy. But anyway, I was doing, um, they wanted me to do like an American History X gimmick. Which, if you know what that is, that was a like a skinhead movie, and yep. I was like, "That's what they want me to be." I was like, "All right, I guess I'll do it." <laughs> so uh, I started acting that way. Angel, they they were having Angel do. He was like, you know, the Spanish Angel thing still, and you know, his was kind of similar. And Vito was, you know, doing the skull gimmick, and I don't know. I think none of our gimmicks maybe worked the way that Paul envisioned it at first, you know, giving me the Malcolm X, uh, not Malcolm X, American History X thing and Angel this and Vito that. I think he just kind of combined everything and made us the Baldies. I mean, we're all bald. We're all had similar looks. And I think all three gimmicks that we were doing separately, Paul just kind of combined them. So I know that was his idea to do that, put us all together. So um that that's how I really believe the Baldies gimmick came up. You know, I know he came up with it. You know, it comes from Fordham Road Baldies. You know, which is an, uh, an original gang, and it comes from uh, the Wanderers movie, and it comes from uh, uh, what's it? Uh, the Warriors. You know, I was gonna say Warriors. Yeah, right, right. Come out so, and play. Yeah, right. So both those movies combined, that's where Paul came up with it, and you know, we were the people that made it happen for him. So that's how it all came together. Did you care, like, oh, this is kind of like a gang or skinhead thing? Or you're like, who cares? I'm on TV yeah. and I got a gimmick. Yeah, I didn't care. I didn't even care it was a skinhead thing. I was like, wow, my boss, whose mother was in, like, a, a, a you know, a concentration a camp. Jewish concentration camp, and he's Jewish and he's fine. He wants me to be a, <laughs> he wants me to be a skinhead. I was like, that's a little strange, but I guess I don't care. I'm going to do it. You know, so when, when the whole Baldies thing came around, same thing. We were like, yeah, I don't care. I first of all, my father rented the Wanderers movie years and years before that, and I watched that movie so many friggin' times. So I was familiar with the Fordham Road Baldies. I knew the gang, and then of course the Warriors movie, and you know, so I just I was very familiar with that. So I was on board. I was like, yeah, this is cool. So really, kind of a main feud was New Jack, and really kind of you guys feuding with him. What do you think about working with him? I know you said you like snug and stuff. Yeah. It seemed like maybe he was kind of the definition of, of Morgan Snug. Um, New Jack, Jack was never, he never hurt us in the ring. Jack never, not, I know Jack's hurt people in the rings before. I know oh, he's yeah. stabbed people. I know he's, you know, tried to beat the shit out of that Gypsy Joe guy. And, you know, but Jack was not like that with us. Jack, especially with me and Angel. He liked me and Angel, uh, Angel especially. And I think he liked me because, you know, I had been in the business a while, but I was real respectful for him. You know, I was whatever he wanted to do. We did. We listened. He wanted us to do it. We just did it. Um, yeah, I never had an issue with Jack. Never. Was never scared to work with him. Never hurt me. I broke my hand in the ring with Jack, but that wasn't his fault. <laughs> so 
I was at a show once with PJ. This is obviously years after ECW, but mm-hmm. New Jack was walking around with this big, like, uh, gigantic knife, almost yeah. like a machete knife. I was like, yeah. oh, shit. I was yeah. like, what the hell? Yeah, that's the same knife he pulled out on Grimes, told him he was going to slit his throat. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I guess him and uh, Vic Grimes didn't get along very well. Well, I mean, he fell on him off that scaffolding in Connecticut. So, yeah. <laughs> and then in XPW, they actually just showed it in a documentary the other night. I remember the scaffold match because my friend had all the DVDs, but he literally right. throws him off the scaffold after he tasered him. So his body is almost like lifeless. Oh, yeah. yeah, he tried to kill him and he even said it. He said, I tried to fucking kill him that night. So it didn't happen because Bumble's bounce. So it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> he so luckily though bounced like that he <laughs> almost perfectly luckily. Rick Grimes was got very lucky that night. Very he got lucky both nights. He got lucky the night in Connecticut and he got lucky the night of that scaffold match. Because Jack wanted to fucking kill him. Yeah. Do yeah. you still uh, talk to Vic Grimes at all? Or was he no. Kind of super no. Religious I, now? The first I just saw of him is uh, Angel actually just posted some. Uh, there's some. There's this guy out there making figures, and he made a figure of me and Angel and Grimes apparently. So Angel oh. just posted it last night on his uh, social media page. So that's the first. And uh, Grimes was on there. He tagged Grimes in it, so I just checked him out. So I sent him a friend request. We'll see if it happens. I think he's religious now. Not that that's yeah, that's what good, I that's what good bad like. yeah, yeah, good, bad, and different. Just seems like that's the path that he's gone down. Yeah. Well, if it's true, great. Good for him. You know. Did you get along with him back then? I uh, mean, obviously New Jack didn't, but <laughs> it's funny, man, because I got along with it's weird. It's like he was two different guys. You know, he was Vic Grimes, but he was also TJ. And TJ was a real nice guy. Vic Grimes is a fucking asshole. You know, Vic Grimes was not, not that he was an asshole. He's just, he was a clueless person in the wrestling business. He, he was clueless. He just thought he can go out and just do whatever he wanted. Didn't know why he couldn't do certain things. You know, uh, wrestling wise, he was, he was just, we had a lot of, we had a lot of uh, disagreements. So, uh, but I like him as a guy, you know, I liked him as a regular person. He was a good dude. Just not as Vic Grimes. <laughs> yeah it's funny a lot of wrestlers it almost seems like not schizophrenic but they definitely do two different personalities like okay yeah. away from the ring i'm nice in the ring i'm gonna hurt you i don't care backstage i can be cordial but yeah it's definitely two different personalities almost with wrestling. yeah it's kind of weird uh i don't like i don't believe i was ever that way but i don't know maybe i was i don't know <laughs> was new jack like you said you got along with stuff but was he as crazy as we all thought he was oh like, fuck yeah <laughs> yeah, he was crazy. <laughs> I mean, you know, the stories he would tell. I mean, every story you've heard about New Jack is true. So, and he's not, he would never deny it. You know, he would never deny any of those stories. So they're all true. It's all true. Because PJ was always saying like, oh, he's so nice and stuff. I was like, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe to you, but not to Gypsy Joe. <laughs> yeah, and- right, not to, but, you know, he thought, you know, I guess the whole thing too is that I guess, <laughs> I guess I heard something about it. And uh, Dreamer was, you know, after he passed away, I think Dreamer was talking on his podcast about it. And, uh, you know, he's like, I guess he asked him, whatever happened with Joe that night? He goes, Tommy, I didn't know it was his gimmick not to sell. He wasn't selling my shit. (laughs) So I had to beat him up. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it. I believe that's New Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, have you ever seen uh, uh, Bernie Mac? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fucking Bernie Mac and, and New Jack are the same guy. Same fucking guy. Just that that personality that you saw Bernie Mac on the screen. That was New Jack in the locker room. That was New Jack in person. He was fucking Bernie Mac, man. He was great. New Jack was great. It's funny. Gypsy Joe did really have that gimmick back in the day. Like he would no sell everybody. Right. But I could see New Jack be like, "What's what's this guy doing?" Well, how would you know? How would he know that? I never, I right. never heard of Gypsy Joe before that match. <laughs> right, right. You got to be like a hardcore fan, or you know, you got to yeah. be a real mark yeah. or whatever, like, to know that stuff. Yeah. To know that, yeah, sure. So with ECW and like it's going along, are you sensing that the business is, is headed like in a downward spiral, or is everything going along good and you're thinking, okay? This is a great spot permanently. I mean, I always just thought it was going to be a great spot permanently. Um, I think we all thought that. Um, yeah, we, we've got some bounce checks, but I had bounce checks. Right when I, I mean, you think I would have known better, but right when I started right. with the company, I think my first ever check was bounced, you know? So, oh, my God. Yeah. 
not a good sign. Not a good sign. But it cleared up after that. You know what I'm saying? Everything was good for a while, and then you know, towards the end, we got we started getting uh, bounce checks again. But I, you know, but I always thought too. Well, shit, those you know, he made up on that first one ever. So hopefully, he'll make up on these. You know, and you know, uh, everybody knows the stories behind it. You know, we got a lot of pep talks. Paul can. You know, he can talk, man. He can talk. And you believe him, you know, because why would he lie to us? So, you know, you believe the guy. And, uh, you know, it sucks because, it, you know, ended up going out of business, man. And that really that really sucked. But that's why I did the things I've always done. You know, I went out and got a job. I had to, always had to get a regular job. You know, I got a shoot job and I earned my money and I wrestled on the side still. So... But you're smart and responsible, and some of the other guys probably weren't. Yeah, some of the other guys weren't, you know, and it sucks because to this day they're still struggling. And you're, you're talking 20, 20 years since ECW went out of business, almost almost twenty one years. So uh, it's a long time to be struggling still, you know. I knew right away. I had a family. I always had a family, and I started wrestling. I my son was born right in the beginning of my wrestling career. I just started training, and I had a family since day one. Um, it's one of the reasons why I never traveled too far away. I never went to do Memphis or I never went to California or I never went to Puerto Rico. And, you know, I had my family and I, I just couldn't I couldn't do that. I could do my weekend trips. That was fine, you know, but I couldn't go away for three, four or five months at a time, leave my family home. I couldn't do that. So I always took care of them. And I knew once ECW ended, you know, uh, I had to go right back into supporting them. You know, I had to get a job. And throughout the rest of my career, Ring of Honor, everything else, you know, I always had a shoot job. I had to make that money. So I couldn't rely just on wrestling. And that's another reason why I never even tried other things. You know, I never went to TNA, never did it. I couldn't do, I couldn't devote that time to that, to that one particular thing and leave my family high and dry. I couldn't do that. So. Because it seems like, and you're mentioning that, and I'm like thinking, I was like, man, it seems like why wasn't DeVito here? Why wasn't DeVito there? Kind of answers that. Because it's, it's like everybody else ended up in TNA. Not yeah. everyone, but like they were doing the ECW thing. And yeah. it's like, what, what the hell is DeVito doing all this? <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's that's one of the main reasons. Uh, for us as the Baldies, you know, a big thing too, Angel moved to Kansas. So Kansas kind of fucked everything up, you know? You know, I don't know why anyone would choose to move to Kansas willingly. I have no idea. To this day, I still question his motives behind it. I thought they were going to throw a big noose over a tree and hang him one day. You know, because <laughs> I mean, I'm smoking Kansas. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. And he's like a, a cop or whatever. It's like, what, Angel? What the hell? Yeah, I know. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> I forget his story, like how he ended up there, like the he met a fat did... rat. No, he John. He met a fat rat. Uh oh. That was it. He loves. Oh. He loves fat girls, man. That's it. See, he lied to me, and he told me that the the tra- the bus, or not the bus. Excuse me, the plane. He got stopped in Kansas. He ended up liking it there. He never left. That's what he told Fuck me. Fuck him. He's a lying motherfucker, yeah. man. He <laughs> met some fat girl that lived there. That's all it was. Wow, Angel, what a liar. What a worker. He loves the fat rats, bro. Big, huge ass. He's like, where's the cheese? <laughs> He's right in on it, bro. That's great. Yes, yeah. I'm going to have to bust his balls about that. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Damn, look at that. Yeah, why <laughs> Why did he screw it up for the Baldies? Like, man, I don't know. I don't man. know why he screwed it up. I mean, listen, it was hard enough I had to be the Shawn Michaels of the Baldies. I was the Shawn Michaels of the Carnage crew. I mean, yep. I've struggled throughout my career, man, carrying guys all the time. Yeah, damn. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> so with the Carnage crew, obviously Loke is in, in Ring of Honor first. And yes. Gabe, Gabe's a former assistant to Paul. Yeah. They're starting ROH. Gabe loved you. He said you're one of his favorite brawlers. He, he loved you in ECW. Loke gets you in? to uh, Yeah, ROH? so it's funny because so Loke, they bring Loke in, I think, at the first show. And I think they he refereed that night. Because he was a scream official in uh, yep. ECW, so I think he refereed that night. But I think at the end, one of the another guy I trained, this guy Sledge, uh, ended up tagging with Loke. And I don't know if it was that night or the second show. Loke knows this story better than I do because I don't remember anything. But um, I so I was either on the second or third Ring of Honor show. I can't remember, but supposedly they wrestled a match and and they just. They just shit the bed, and Paul just didn't. Uh, not Paul, I'm sorry. Gabe. Gabe did not like Sledge one bit. He he yeah, loved. I think it gets Loke. cut from the DVD. I think. Yeah, I, yeah, I think he did. <laughs> I think I think the history of Sledge is cut out of Ring of Honor. 
Um, but anyway, he just did not like him. He didn't like them as a tag team. He didn't like anything. And I guess he said to Loke that night, he's like, I don't like your fucking partner. What are we going to do? And he goes, well, what about DeVito? And he goes, fuck DeVito. And that was it. And that's Gabe called me. And that's, that's how I got the ring honor. So that was that. Cause Funny. if you think, if you remember at the time, there were not many ECW guys there at all. Cause Gabe did not want it to be. Uh, you know, ECW light or ECW number two, or, you know, he didn't yeah. want that. So he didn't want to bring in all these ECW guys, but somehow luckily I got, I got the spot. So he, he just liked for the, for that team. I fit well. Seemed like the perfect fit. You and Loke just go yeah. perfect together and carnage crew. That name seems perfect. Did you come up with the name? No, I hated, I hated that name. Gabe came up with it and I hated it. <laughs> and he goes, well, what else do you want it to be? And I was like, I don't, know and I, it just that was it <laughs> i didn't come up with anything else i'm not very imaginative when it comes to names and things like that so i like to just go out there and and and, and fight you know what i'm saying so i'm not the creative one you know that's for sure yeah really for like ecw guys it was like loke and carino were like the only guys that were there at yeah. first yeah eventually for, well, bring was, in more was carino even there before i was i don't remember Actually, I think he's after you, but then he started yeah. doing some commentary, and he sometimes he'd phone yeah. in the commentary and yeah, stuff like that. Commentary, yeah. 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 I think Loke was the first one, then me, and then, you know, then, of course, there was a uh, influx of guys that came in and out. You know, I know Raven came in, Tommy Dreamer came in. Um, Whipwreck for a little bit. Yeah, Whipwreck. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a bunch, I guess, but no one really stayed. You know, they were kind of one-shot type of things, you know? Did you like what he was doing with you as far as the gimmick? Like, you know, feuding with Special K, but you guys are the brawlers. You guys are the tough guys. You know, you're basically, you know, like Dick the Bruiser and the Crusher just beating the shit out of people. Yeah. I loved it because we were the veterans working with the young guys. And the reason that Gabe put us with Special K is because there was a lot of green guys in that group. You know, you had, you had, um, I can't, I can't remember everybody's names, but Jay you know, Lethal. Jay Lethal um dizzy Cheech, cloudy well cheats was my guy anyway but that even before that it was oh, Azrael, Azrael, and all these guys that were they were just starting out you know and those guys have been around a little bit i think dixie and Azrael, and, and they were around for a little bit longer but some of the newer guys like jay didn't know anything at that point you know he's brand new and um a couple other guys too so you know he wanted us to work with them because he wanted us to he wanted us to show them how to work you know not just go out there and do these matches, but he wanted us to show, this is how you work a match. This is how you do psychology and this is what you do. And, and that's what our job was in, in, in ring of honor, you know, Loke became like the first agent there, you know, he's like an agent. I wasn't an agent, but I was a, a veteran in the locker room. And we worked with so many of those young guys, basically just to, we were the veterans, man. It was our, it was our turn to, to work with these young kids and teach them. And it was awesome. I loved it. I really did love it. I, I loved my time in Ring Honor. It was great. Man, I used to go to so many of those shows, sometimes with PJ, sometimes yeah. not. But, man, I used to love those shows. They were just – because WWE at that point was really – I don't know. It wasn't what I was really looking for as a fan. And then Ring of Honor comes with Brian Danielson and right. Punk. And I right. love the Carnage crew. Then Dusty would be teaming up with Dusty. you guys randomly. It yeah. was like a, a dream. The Steamboat would show up. And, yeah. you know, it's like, man, like very cool. And I feel like Gabe did a great job booking. Yeah. Too. Oh, he did, man. And and Gabe also, a little like Paul, you know, especially with, I don't know how much he did it for the other guys, but guys like me and Loke and some of the guys that were more veterans, Chris Daniels, um, probably Brian, you know, all these guys, you know, he, we had a lot of creative freedom, you know, we could say, hey, Drew, hey, Gabe, how about this or that, you know, and Gabe listened and Gabe would do a lot of stuff, you know, sometimes Gabe wanted the way Gabe wanted it. And that was cool, too. But there was times we able we put our input in there, you know. I always put my input no matter what. Whether he he took it or he didn't take it, I always put it in there. <laughs> you know, I yep. say I'm not creative. Uh, I'm really not creative. But there are times where I want to work with certain guys or I want to do a certain angle with certain guys. And I can I can push me towards that angle. And then I want, you know, you got to grab it and run from there with me, you know. But I'll do the work. You come up with the creative part. But this is this is what I'm thinking, you know, type of thing. Um, and it, it Gabe listened a lot, he really did. What did you think about finally getting the tag titles and winning the tag titles? Because sometimes guys are like, Yeah, it means nothing, but it's awesome to kind of have it on the resume, like even in the beginning of the episode, Ring of Honor, former you know, tag team champion. I think it's pretty awesome, like just resume wise and looking back. 
it is awesome. So these guys that tell you that it doesn't mean anything, they're full of shit because they're all fucking marks. So they're full of shit. <laughs> well, they are because these, these right. guys won't tell you the way it is. Anytime you get a belt, and I don't care if it's an indie belt, like this little fucking indie down the street or whatever. If somebody gives you the belt, they mean it means something. It fucking means something. I know it's a prop. I know it's not for real, but it means something to that guy. So it means something to you. And if it, if you don't take it like that, I think you're doing an injustice to the to the to what that title is. You know, you should take it seriously. You know, for for me, Ring Honor was a, a legit company. So winning the tag team titles there was a was a huge uh, milestone in our career. M mine and Lokes, you know, especially for me, I thought it was great. I think we deserved it. And I don't think we deserved it like some of these other guys that get belts nowadays. I mean, if you want to talk about belts nowadays, maybe they don't mean anything anymore because they are just given to whoever and back and forth and this and that. And maybe it doesn't mean anything. But to me, it, it means something to have that belt. It does. And the way Gabe booked it, obviously, you know, you guys beat Jacobs and Whitmer and everything. But the way he booked Ring of Honor, it wasn't like the titles get thrown around all the time either. He no. was pretty, pretty methodical about title changes. Right, right. Yeah. And it was, yeah, Jacob said, because at that point, um, Moff was there and then Moff left for a while. Yes. Because yep. we, were, we were feuding with Moff and, and, uh, and Whitmer for a while. Yes. That. So, you know, it's funny, like you said before, you know, uh, Steamboat and all the, and, so it's cool. I mean, I got to work with Steamboat there. I got work to work with Dusty there. I got to work yeah. with Oli there. You know, there's some big fucking stars we got to work with while we were in Ring of Honor. It was pretty cool. Bobby Heenan came through at one point. And that was great. Cornette came through a bunch of yeah. times. Yeah. I don't know if I was there when Cornette was there. I can't remember. I'm trying to remember. Uh, well, he was there for the Midnight Express reunion in 04. You were definitely there for that one. I was there. When, yeah. When, yeah, when they had all those guys. <laughs> You're forgetting it. <laughs> Ricky Morton was there. Yeah, good stuff. It was good stuff. <laughs> but you know what was great about Carnage Crew, too, is that um, we were able to get PJ booked with us as Carnage Crew. You know, PJ, PJ was my best friend in the wrestling business, without a doubt. PJ was my number one dude. And uh, to be able to get him into the Carnage crew with us and work shows with us at Ring of Honor, that was, a, that was, that was awesome, dude. To be able to, to team up with my brother like that, it, me and Loke, we were honored to do it, man. It was great. That was awesome. That was so yeah. cool to have him. And remember his debut back in like 03. He got one of the biggest pops that I've yeah. ever heard in ROH. They went nuts when he okay. showed up. And where was that, Murphy Wreck at the time or no? Was that Murphy record? Was that when you guys were in Boston? It might have been when you guys went to Boston yeah. for a few shows. Yeah, I can't remember which one it was. Huge pop. It was awesome. But just even throwing Masada in there, it's just a cool yeah. group of guys that were you know, it, kick-ass. It, it's kind of funny, man. Like, you know, my Baldies team, similar. Carnage crew, similar. It was just, yes. you know, we'd bring guys in, bring, you know, guys to come in, come out, come in, come out. It was kind of weird that both teams were like that for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So as we wind it down, we head towards the finish. As far as like WB ECW, I know you made some brief appearances there. Was there ever any going to be anything long term as far as WB and and like that new ECW? Yeah, it's so you know Dreamer once again. You know Dreamer's been great in my wrestling career. So ECW, and then he got me booked to do the um, the first thing. So I came in and did the Macho Libre thing. So I was on the second yes. show, yes. and you know I came in, I cut that promo, and we just did whatever, and it was it was fine. You know everything was great. And then, uh, you know, he called me back again to come do the preacher thing. So I went to do the preacher thing. And that was in Philly on the 4th of July. That part I remember. And, uh, you know, sitting out in the crowd, people recognized me. And, you know, they knew who I was. But, you know, that was great, man. But after that show, you know, that whole thing we did, you know, you know, we had to rehearse the whole thing. You know, Vince was right there with us. It was me, Sandman, Vince, you know, and they give you lines to read and all this bullshit. And, um, but... From the, from the story I know, of course, I was I was doing it. I was living it. So I don't know what happened behind the scenes. But from what I know behind the scenes, uh, Vince McMahon was going crazy on the headset during the whole segment. He fucking loved it. I mean, I they gave me tickets. I put the tickets like in the breast pocket. And if you, <laughs> if you watch it, they come over like I don't know, security comes over and I go, I have tickets. And I just whip them out and I start doing all this stuff. And Vince fucking went crazy for it. So and he's on the headset. So all the production people here and anybody that's on headset gorilla this and that so uh you know that segment ends you know they walk me up through the through the thing and paul Heyman met me and paul fucking goes you need to go see vince mcmahon right fucking now 
And I was like, well, where is he? And he's like, he's a gorilla. So I, he walked me all the way back to gorilla because the where they brought me out was like on the other side of the building, up on the second floor, some bullshit. So he brings me to Vince and Vince McMahon hugs me. He tells me how fucking great it was. I mean, that, that was fucking great. <laughs> and he's hugging me. And I, I, like I said, I guess he went like, as I found out later on, Paul had told me, yeah, Vince was going crazy on headset. So I got a bonus night that night, which was really awesome too. Awesome. The bonus. Yeah. Now, as far as that, the next week, Tommy Dreamer calls me up. They're, they're going to tape that night. And he calls me that day and he goes, I said, Hey, what's up, Tom? He goes, yeah, we got a problem. I said, what's going on? He goes, you're booked tonight. And I go, I'm booked. I said, I'm sitting home. You guys are in like, I don't know where they were. They were nowhere near my house. They were flying distance away. I go, I'm sitting in my house. He goes, yeah, I know. He goes, they wrote you into the storylines. I was like, are you shitting me? He goes, yeah. He, he goes, they think you're part of the company. And I go, <laughs> well, that's fucking awesome. What are we doing? <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I don't know what happened. I mean, as far as I knew, I was supposed to, uh, they were going to tag up uh, Just Incredible and C.W. Anderson, and they were going to be the new Impact players. And I was supposed to be their manager. And that's what they were going to do with us. And it never happened. Damn, never happened. all that. Damn. Yeah. Well, because then, then I think the week after was the Hammerstein Ballroom. And I think... Was that Punk's debut? Most likely, yes. That I was booked on that show because Tommy goes, well, I'm going to book you for this next show and bring you in. And then when I came in, I'm in the locker room. And like I said, all the production people were on headset. So they all were coming up to me. Hey, father. Hey, father. How are Because I was doing the priest that night. Yeah. So they didn't know what to call me. They all just assumed I had a job because of the way Vince reacted. And I didn't know any of these production people because, <laughs> you know, they're not. You don't see these guys. I mean, you see them, but they, you don't know their names. They're all over the place. Right. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. I mean, I thought I was going to get a job, and uh, it just didn't – it still did not happen. Did Dreamer or Paul ever explain to you, like, what happened or no? Uh, Dreamer explained some stuff to me years later. So, Politics involved? Yeah, politics. Somebody didn't want you to have that spot. Somebody didn't want any of the ECW guys to have a spot anymore. Ah, okay. Any of the originals, and as you knew, all the originals were gone from ECW. All of them. Sandman, RVD, Sabu. I mean, RVD had a job for as long as he wanted it, but you know, and Sabu got busted with the weed that night with with yeah, <laughs> yeah. with RVD. But I mean, think about it. all those uh, Doring and Roadkill. Um, Guido got a you know they put him to refing eventually. Um, I don't know how C.W. Anderson. There were so many guys. P.J. There were so many guys that were hired that at a certain we just all, and they, they cut all the originals out of the show, all of them. So and then they all eventually got fired. So I never even got hired to get fired. I just got cut out right away. Damn. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it kind of sucks because uh, that's what I was striving for my whole career. I love D.C.W. too. I have no regrets with any of my career. I love D.C.W. I love my position. I love Ring Honor. But, you know, my goal was always to be a contracted guy in WWF and WWE, I should say. And, you know, that part came up a little short, you know. So I'm always a little bummed out, but I have no regrets, man. I had a great career. I had a great time. I've made it further than a lot of people have. And that's the way I look at things, you know. And I'm not disgruntled about it, man. I, I had a great career. Hell of a resume if you go back and look. The Not WB bad. stuff. Yeah, the ROH Tag Champ, ECW Original. Pretty damn good resume looking back. Yeah, yeah. Not bad. I worked with, I trained a lot of people too, man. Not only the guys you trained, I used to go to the uh, to the warehouse. So I used, when, when they were training draws, we were the first guys to, me, Mike Bell, we'd go work out with draws on a Tuesday afternoon and we'd do matches with them with, with Dr. Tom. You know, wow. they, brought, they brought Lawrence Taylor in for WrestleMania 11. We worked out with Lawrence Taylor, you know, uh, the Truth Commission, uh, Edge, um, a fake Undertaker, Brian Lee. We worked out with Brian Lee. We were his first matches on TV. Wow. You know, we, we did all that stuff in the warehouse uh, in, in Connecticut. It was pretty, that was pretty cool, man. Just going to that warehouse back in that time, that was fucking cool, man. So much stuff was in that place. We would just walk around and look at everything and the old sets and props and stuff. That place is fucking cool. That's awesome. Do they yeah. call you in and say, "Hey, we need some guys. Like, yeah. we need we need you guys to help." Yeah. Well, they knew we were local. Like Tony Gurria knew we were local guys. Tony was great to us. He was like our guy there. 
and Tony was, he was fantastic to us, you know, and he'd book us for those things. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. yeah that's pretty cool. Great awesome. paydays too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one final thing I wanted to mention. It's funny years ago at the ECW arena, CZW, I'm there with PJ. Obviously you're there with your guys, massive and Cheech. You guys are wrestling and Joe Frazier smoking Joe he used to go to all the shows. He's oh, walking yeah. around. He sees me. I'm like, oh, my God, smoking Joe. I go to shake my hand. Massive, who obviously is massive, way bigger than me. Not, not realizing, I thought he made eye contact with me. I guess Massive thought it was with him. Right. Goes, shake smoking Joe's hand. Smoking Joe turns around. And I was like, oh, I was like, I never got to shake. And you never got Joe's. it? Oh. Nope. Massive screwed me. So I never forget that. Wow. Fuck, bastard. Man. You yeah. know? Bastard. Damn. He is a bastard. Smoking Joe's a god right there. And they I know. That's the that was for a CZW show? Was it CZW? I believe it was CZW. He used to always just randomly show up in Philly to these horrible shows. Yeah. 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 And I, I remember it was Carnage Crew against God knows whoever CZW put you guys against. But hmm. Yeah, you know, it's weird. I don't remember. I've worked a couple CZW shows, I guess. I don't remember them all. <laughs> they're nothing nothing to remember anyway they're a lot, a lot well, of them are just, well that's the funny thing too my i think my first ever ccw show i teamed up with new jack that's another another time i teamed Ooh. with new jack and wow weird pairing yeah it was me and jack against wife beater and zandig oh nice so, team there love zandig yeah. yeah well i'm gonna tell you that match i was a little nervous about because i thought i was gonna have to shoot i thought i was gonna have to throw hands with those guys because if that fucking asshole Got that out of that weed whacker and tried to hit me with it. I was gonna fucking shoot on him. <laughs> Man, I don't know why that was like wife beater's gimmick or whatever, but what yeah. a weird thing. And he'd really turn that thing on. Like what a dude, nut. he he fucking messed up a lot of people with that weed whacker. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. And he's I a big boy like too. You. So it's like fuck. I'm not doing weed whackers. I'm not doing glass. <laughs> How did that turn out that night? It was okay, actually. None of that none of that stuff came out. We just brawled and uh that was really it. So that was fine. Nice. Yeah, it was nice. fine. Yeah. And yeah, that's a big boy, too. Yeah. Well, that's, even Zandig is a big dude. Oh, he's big. Yeah. You know, they're all bigger than me. <laughs> oh, I'm just yeah. a shooter. They don't know it. <laughs> Good call. So before we let you go, is there anywhere where you want fans, like social media, anywhere you want to plug or anything like that? No, I have a private page, so I don't. I don't do a fan page. Um, I mean, people can try to request me, but I probably won't accept it. No offense. It's just what it is. Got to keep your privacy. You yeah. Keep... I mean, I just, you know, I don't, I'm not looking to do much anymore. So, and if I can get booked on something, I'll, I'll let Loker Angel hook me up. So. <laughs> good call. It's good. It's good to be the Sean of both teams. Yes. <laughs> so this DHBK of the Baldies yeah, and the right. Carnage Crew. And yes. the Carnage Crew. That's why my back is out because I had to carry two of those fat bastards my whole career. Yep, especially Angel. Especially yeah. Angel. <laughs> but DeVito, thank you so much uh, for all time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I had a good time. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>